Hey everybody! You are listening to the Creative BioLevs podcast, the show that introduces the basics about stem cells and their broad applications. Please contact us if you have any questions or suggestions. And don't forget to subscribe to follow the latest updates. Welcome, dear listeners. Today's sharing guest is still our favorite Dr. Benjamin Smith. Let's give a warm welcome to this famous scientific journal editor. Could you please say hello to the audience, Dr. Smith? Glad to see you again, dear listeners. Thank you for the invitation, Connie. In the previous episodes, we learned about many important research results on retinal stem cells. After this, we turned our attention to some of the cells present in the ear. Of course, stem cells in the ear will be the focus. Mass cell death in the ear undoubtedly results in hearing loss. It is imperative, then, to figure out how inner ear tissue develops and regenerates. Before going in death, I think we should first understand the composition of the ear organ. What do you think, doctor? You are right. So, let me give a brief introduction. In vertebrates, the entire inner ear derives from the otic placode. The otic placode is a thickened portion of the dorsolateral surface ectoderm immediately lateral to the hindbrain. Like the lens and olfactory placodes, the otic placodes invaginate and contract to form a single-layered ball of cells. Such cells are called otic vesicles. From this simple epithelial cell, a wide variety of tissues and cells arise. Notably, the otic ectoderm is neurogenic for the first-order neurons of the statoacoustic ganglion. Ganglion neuroblasts are the earliest identifiable cell type. They delaminate from the otic ectoderm at the otic cup stage, even before vesicle formation is complete. The otic vesicle is also sensorigenic. They can produce six to eight different sensory patches. The sensory organs of the inner ear subserve hearing and balance and they are differentiated according to their function. Thanks for your introduction. So, what are the categories of sensory organs? Could you please tell us a bit more? No problem. There are three main classes of sensory organs. These are macula, crista, and acoustic. The acoustic organs of vertebrates vary widely in structure and sensitivity. Ana, they reach their highest complexity and frequency selectivity in the mammalian organ of cordy. Mechanosensory hair cells are interspersed in areas of supporting cells necessary for hair cell survival and function. This is true for all inner ear sensory organs. Finally, in addition to the sensory patches, several types of non-sensory tissues originate from the otic epithelium. The most differentiated is the tissue that secretes extracellular fluid, called the endolymph. It bathes the apical surfaces of all otic epithelial cells. The endolymph contains an unusually high concentration of potassium ions. The tissue responsible for endolymph production are anatomically complex. It is highly vascularized and has many ion pumps and channels. Other nonsensory epithelial flanks the sensory organs. Together with supporting cells, they may help to secrete a specialized extracellular matrix perched above the hair cells. The aim is to enhance their mechanosensitivity. 
So, are individual otic placode cells pluripotent for all inner ear cell types? This is yet uncertain. Because lineage studies have not yet revealed all possible relationships among the constellation of the inner ear cells. It is believed that mechanoreceptors and their supporting cells share a common progenitor. This conclusion holds in the inner ear of birds and zebrafish as well as in the lateral line of regenerating salamanders. There is also evidence that sensory and non-sensory cells in chicken ears may be clonally related. Additionally, preliminary studies in mice included a single clone with members in both the sensory and non-sensory utricle. In birds, otic neurons and sensory cells may be related. To date, there is no direct evidence for the existence of true otic stem cells. Nonetheless, lineage studies suggest that multipotent progenitor cells constitute normal features of inner ear development. This leaves open the possibility that similar cells might lurk in the mature ear. I see. Is there anything worth mentioning about inner ear development? Yeah. Various growth factors and growth factor receptors are involved in the developing inner ears. However, it is necessary to distinguish between growth factors with different functions. They may regulate cell proliferation or otherwise influence cell fate specification. For example, the role of fibroblast growth factor in otic induction. Moreover, many growth factor assays are performed in vitro. It follows that cells and tissues can alter their growth factor responsiveness depending on culture conditions. Nonetheless, members of several growth factor families, alone or in combination, can enhance cell proliferation in developing otocysts or neonatal inner ear tissues when presented in culture. You made it very clear. As far as I know, the vestibular maculae are involved in sensing gravity. In fishes and amphibians, these organs grow in size throughout life. In warm-blooded vertebrates, there are marked differences in the timing of inner ear organogenesis between birds and mammals. Could you please describe cell proliferation in the vestibular maculae of birds? Sure. In both birds and mammals, sensory organs stop producing new cells around mid-embryogenesis. However, cells in the vestibular maculae of the birds increased and died far beyond hatching. The half-life of hair cells in chicken utricular macules has been estimated to be 20, 30, or 52 days. During the two weeks of hatching, nearly 500 cells per day may be added to the saccular macula. In comparison, 1,400 cells can be added per day in the utricular macula. At 60 days post-hatch, each utricle reached a steady-state addition of 850 hair cells per day. However, these numbers are obtained in the absence of amplifying progenitors. Instead, most progenitors divide once, giving rise to a hair cell and a putative support cell. Indeed, there may be a reservoir of self-renewing stem cells and mature avian macules. It consists of cells that divide on an extremely slow timescale. Interestingly, the neuronal colony-forming cells of the olfactory epithelium are thought to be the true stem cells of this sensory organ. These cells are rare and divide very slowly. Ongoing receptor cell turnover in the olfactory epithelium utilizes a transient amplifying progenitor pool. This pool in turn generates a population of immediate neuronal precursors. 
These precursors divide symmetrically to produce differentiated olfactory receptor cells. So, how about the vestibular macula in mammals? The vestibular macula is quiescent from birth in mammals. This is different from lower vertebrates. The same is true for the auditory organs of birds and mammals. Much data suggests that the differentiated organs of Cordy could harbor cells capable of dividing and differentiating under the right circumstances. In this context, it is interesting that a subset of cells in the auditory and vestibular organs of the neonatal mouse expressed the neural stem cell marker, Nestin. Nestin is rapidly down-regulated around the first week of life. However, it persists until day 15 in non-sensory cochlear cells. By the way, several growth factors and cytokines can affect cell proliferation within the undamaged mature inner ear sensory organ or sensory epithelial supporting cells. For example, insulin, insulin-like growth factor 1, or interleukin-1-beta enhanced the proliferation of normal chicken utricular cells in vitro. In contrast, fibroblast growth factor 2 reduced proliferation. I see. Well, I've heard that the strongest evidence for the presence of progenitor cells in quiescent sensory organs in warm-blooded vertebrates comes from regeneration studies. So, what happens to cell proliferation in damaged organs? Numerous studies have shown that damaged sensory organs will regenerate new hair cells in chickens. This regeneration is mainly through a proliferative mechanism. Thus, the supporting cells of the basilar papilla have a strong mitotic response to damaging conditions. A significant number of cells enter the cell cycle, producing hair cells and new supporting cells. Still, it's unclear whether supporting cells coexist with self-renewing stem cells. Data suggests that only a small number of cycling cells in the regenerating basilar papilla divide more than once short after ototoxic drug treatment. In addition, the ongoing proliferation appears to be extremely modest. Chicken macular cells, like basilar papilla, also divide and differentiate with the reduction of hair cells. In the presence of certain cytokines, the proliferative index of the drug-damaged macula is elevated. You made it very clear. How about the regeneration and proliferation of mammalian hair cells, again in contrast to lower vertebrates? The mammalian macula has only a weak proliferative response to hair cell loss. There is little evidence that hair cells can be regenerated via cycling intermediates. In contrast, maculae restore their hair cells primarily through direct transdifferentiation of supporting cells. Self-repair by subcellular damaged hair cells is another hair cell recovery pathway. The limited proliferation that accompanies recovery may serve to replace the transdifferentiated supporting cells. The in vivo or in vitro addition of some cytokines, such as retinoic acid, can promote hair cell recovery. Concerning the fate specification of different cells in the ear, are transcription factors involved? In fact, relatively few transcription factors are associated with the specificity of cell fate in the ear. What is known so far is that NeuroD, Neurogenin-1, and IL-1 are critical to the fate of otic ganglion cells. BRN3 is required for ganglion cell survival and differentiation. MATH1 is required for hair cell development and survival. 
BRN3C is required for subsequent hair cell differentiation. Ectopic delivery of MATH1 may lead to the ectopic generation of partially differentiated hair cells in the mammalian ear. As a result, some cells retain the ability to transform into hair cells even in adulthood. Based on the above findings, is it feasible to expand otic progenitors in vitro? Yeah. Here researchers use immortalized oncogenes to isolate cell lines from the developing inner ear and explore their differentiation potential. There are ongoing efforts to expand the pool of pure otic progenitor cells using immature or differentiated otic epithelial cells as starting material. Culture conditions have been elucidated that allow embryonic day 13.5 cochlear progenitors to remain in culture long after they normally become mitotic. Mitotic progenitors give rise to MATH1 positive hair cell islands. The number of hair cells continue to increase two weeks after plating. Other studies have reported the successful production of spheroid cultures from mouse cysts or cochlea. But these cells lasted only until postnatal day 6. Cells from 14-day and 21-day sensory organs failed under similar culture conditions. Spheres from the isolated organs of cordy from adult guinea pigs have also been cultured. Initially, spheres did not express nestin or the supporting cell marker. The emergence of differentiated hair cells is extremely rare, accounting for less than 1% of cells in long-term culture. The most promising so far has been the generation and differentiation of spheroid cultures from single cells isolated from the utricular macula of adult mice. It does sound promising. So, what is the significance of the establishment of the method of culturing ear stem cells for future research? The establishment of methods for culturing otic stem cells facilitates the exploration of combinations of transcription factors to induce differentiation of one cell type. Stem or differentiated cells from various sources can then be implanted back into the animal. This is to determine whether these cells would integrate and provide functional restoration in animal models of inner ear cell loss. Additionally, the ear has certain definite advantages for the delivery of cell or gene transfer vectors. Surgical approaches to the fluid compartments of the inner ear provide access to inner ear hair cells without the need for systemic delivery. For example, substances that can affect sensory tissue or ganglion cell survival can be delivered through round window injection. Delivery of cells that release soluble molecules may offer potential restoration of function. Stereocilia, on the other hand, must precisely interact with the overlying non-sensory matrix. Therefore, structural integration of alternative mechanoreceptors may be essential. Replacement of functional ganglion neurons may be less problematic. It is expected that these and related treatments will improve considerably in the future. Thanks for your wonderful sharing. In conclusion, exciting discoveries have been made about stem cells elsewhere in the body. And, more efforts have been devoted to identifying retinal and ear stem cells. It was nice talking to you. So, I guess we will end here, and hope you have a great day. Thank you very much. Same for you.